You hit play on it. Well, you might not want to by the end of this, but. <laughs> well, we'll see how that works out. So <laughs> just put this in your pocket and just let it go from there. All right. So, hi, brother. All right. Good to you. All right. Good evening. It is an honor to be with you guys tonight. Um, I first want to thank my wife, Shalanda, and uh, her support and several members of my family for being here tonight. Um, and I want to thank Alton for the opportunity. As he said, we've been connected on social media for several years now. And uh, like he said, you need an amen corner. And uh, I have leaned on him and he's been very supportive of me. And um, I just appreciate him giving me this opportunity. Um, I will like to uh, also, before we get started, say that, you know, um, we left here in 2014, but. All right, I'll keep talking. Yeah. All right, I'm going to do this. Can you do a handheld? Yeah. Let's turn that one off because it's just not working. We just, it's just not going to work. I mean, I'm also loud. Yeah, if you loud enough, I'm loud. Okay, go ahead. Hey, man, I, go I've been in the Air Force 19 years. I can get loud. <laughs> All right. So I do want to say, like I say, work took us away from here in 2014. And um, it was a time of growth and everything. And like the Lord has brought us back to the state of Alabama, which we're very grateful for. And uh, we are now in Auburn. And um, the Lord has really been good to us there. We found a good church home. The people there are really nice and friendly. Um, and I do work for the university there, but I do want to set the record straight before I get started and just say roll tide. That's all I wanted to say. All right. I don't like the people to get confused on that. All right. Um, but also, I just want to say, too, for this church, I have Facebook stalked you guys for years. Um, you have been such an encouragement to me as we were in Augusta in a very similar context, inner city ministry work life. Um, I was just encouraged by the things that you guys were doing here in my hometown, uh, which I love dearly. So I just wanted to encourage you guys and everything you're doing to keep doing it. And um, I know it's hard work, but just keep stay with it. Keep your hand on the plow and keep going. Yeah. All right. Um, so our text tonight is Matthew chapter 18 uh, verses 15 through 35. I think this is going to be up on the screen. All right. So we're going to read this out loud. If everybody would stand for the reading of the word of God. So we're reading this together. I'm re oh, you read, you read, we just OK. All right. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me as many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, everything that he had be sold to pay the debt. At this time, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan. The servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this time, his fellow servant fell down and began to beg and, and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him in the prison until he could pay what he owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgive his brother or sister from your heart. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. All right. So one thing that we uh, need to know about parables is that parables are stories of illustration that are meant to convey or teach a central theme or idea. So it's important that we don't get wrapped up in every little detail of the parable, but we don't want to miss the forest for the trees. We want to make sure we get into the heart of the parable. So I believe the main theme of this parable is that we have been forgiven to forgive. We have been forgiven to forgive. Verses 15 through 17 establishes the context that leads to Peter's question. Um, and I just want to I'm going to be reading from the ESV as we go along. I know you guys normally do the CSV. Uh, let's look at verse uh, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In chapter 18, Jesus is teaching his disciples regarding the kingdom of heaven and how they are to deal with sin and temptation. Uh, in these verses, Jesus is giving instruction on how to approach someone in the church who has sinned against you and has repented. He's giving them instructions on when to restore someone and when to push someone out as an unrepentant sinner. Now, we aren't going to focus on these verses, but uh, I want to establish the context for Peter's question and the parable that Jesus tells in response to his question. He says, if your brother sins against you, it's important to point out that Jesus knows that Christians will sin against each other. The church is not absent of sin. Yes, we have been redeemed and yes, we have been born again, but we are still susceptible to our sinful flesh. 
Christians are capable of causing great pain and harm to one another. Yet still, this does not mean that we need to confront and approach each other of every single slight or offense. First Peter chapter four, verses eight tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. So there will be times where we will have to love each other despite our offenses and our imperfections. The steps taken in our passage, though, imply a very serious offense. This wasn't some small issue. If the person fails to repent of the offense, it is to be brought before the entire church. But if the person repents, Jesus tells us that we have gained them back. It is if the person was in danger of leaving the faith because of this sin. But if they repent, the relationship is restored and the person is restored to full fellowship. So this is the context for Peter's question that Jesus that um, to Jesus. So let's look at verses 21. It says Peter comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Now, we know Peter often spoke for the entire group of disciples. So it is possible that this is something that they were all kind of wondering and questioning. And so I can kind of see them telling Peter, hey, man, go ask him, go ask him. You know, now we used to do. And so and so Peter goes up to Jesus and he says, Jesus says, how many times am I to forgive my brother if he sins against me? What Peter is really asking is what are the depths of grace I am to go? How much grace am I to give? The context from verse 15 is the person who sinned has repented. So if they repent, how many times can they sin against me? And I must forgive them as many as seven times. To Peter's credit, Peter went way beyond the standard of his day. The Jewish leadership at that time was taught that you only had to forgive someone three times. So Peter more than doubles it to seven. But what Jesus does here is Jesus shows Peter that his righteousness still falls short of God's standard. Jesus replied, not seven times, but 77 times. Or as we read in the literal translation reads seven times seven, which would be four hundred and ninety times. So the issue really isn't seventy seven or four hundred and ninety. The point is what Jesus is saying is there is no limit to the grace we are to give a brother or sister in Christ who has sinned against us and who has repented. It is an unlimited grace. And we will see from our text, it is because we have received an unlimited grace. He then begins to tell the parable. Look at verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So here we have this scene where the king has called all his servants in to to sit down and kind of go over the books to see how well or how poor they had done with his money. This is kind of like a, an accountant being audited by the IRS. And so after going through all the receipts and and the loans, it was determined that this servant owed an incredible amount of money. And not only did he owe the money, but it was due immediately. 
This scene is very, very reminiscent to the parable of the talents that Jesus tells, where in the parable of the talents, Jesus tells that a man uh, entrusts three of his servants with a certain amount of talents or money. The first two invested and turned a profit, but the third servant wasted his opportunity. The first two, I can say, invested. And so Jesus said, said when the master returned to these servants and it says to settle accounts, which is the same phrase used in our verse, said they each had to give an account for what they had done with the master's money. The first two were rewarded, but the third faced imminent judgment. So what both parables teach us is that there will be a day when we stand before God in judgment and give an account for our sins. Debt in our parable is used as a metaphor for sin. So our text states that the servant owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents was an insurmountable amount of money. Just one talent coin was worth 6,000 days of wages or 17 years of wages. So 10,000 talents was the equivalent of 170,000 years of wages. And if that's not enough to drive home how great this servant's debt was, the number 10,000 is the highest number that can be expressed in the Greek language. It is the Greek equivalent of saying infinity. So this servant owe an infinite amount of debt to the king. This was, this was an unpayable debt. He would never be able to work hard enough or long enough to pay off this debt in the same way our good works are never good enough to pay the penalty and price for our sins. Amen. This is the stage. This is the stage Jesus is setting and the image that he is painting for his disciples to show them just how scandalous forgiveness really is. As we look at the next part of our text and as we look at forgiveness, I want to clarify a few things uh, to ensure we properly understand and apply the implications correctly. Oftentimes in scripture and even in our society, in our society, the, there's an appearance that there is this conflict between forgiveness and justice. How can God forgive and still be a God of justice? How can we be a people who forgive and at the same time be a people of justice? The truth of the matter is that these two great pillars stand side by side and we must rightly understand both of them if we are to live together as Christians in community. So let's begin by defining the term justice. What do we what do we mean when we say justice? Let's look at verses 24 and 25. He says, when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all he had and payment to be made. So what is justice? The Bible uses the word justice in several different ways. In our text, justice is implied and can be defined as giving someone what is owed to them. Now, this can be in a negative way or in a positive way. For example, if someone commits a crime, if someone commits murder, to give them what is owed to them would be for them to receive a, print, a prison sentence or the death penalty. 
In our text, we see that the servant is ordered to be sold along with all of his uh, entire family and all of his possessions to pay his debt. That's justice in a negative form. A positive form of justice would be if someone was wronged or oppressed or defrauded, then to give them what they are owed would be to award them some type of monetary payment for their loss. So we see this in our civil courts today. Um, I know many of you might not uh, admit to it, but we all watch shows like Judge Judy and the People's Court, right? <laughs> Judge Mathis, come on now. Judge Joe Brown. Uh, so on these shows and in these court sessions, what happens? What takes place? A person brings a case against another person, a case of loss, and then they are awarded compensation for their loss. That is justice. Justice was done in that setting. The king in our parable, the king receiving payment from the servant for his loss would be justice. The Bible also uses justice to mean fair or equal treatment. We are called to be just and fair in our dealings with one another. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15 states, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So we're not to be partial. We're not to be biased even towards the poor. We're to be fair towards everyone. That is to be just. Jonathan Lehman, he's the uh, uh, editorial director for a ministry called Nine Marks. And he has a, a definition of justice I think is helpful for us. And he said, after looking at over 130 um, mentions of justice in the Bible, uh, justice can be summarized as judgment in accordance with what is right. Judgment in accordance with what is right. So to do justice is, is to do what is right according to the word of God. So then what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is to free someone from obligation of a debt or an offense. It means to pardon them. Look at verses 26 and 27. It says, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and, and um, forgave him the debt. So do you see how there can be this conflict between doing justice in terms of giving someone what is owed to them and forgiveness, which is not giving them what is owed to them? What we need to understand is that forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness is costly. I love Tim Keller's illustration to describe how forgiveness costs us. Keller, he's a pastor and a theologian, an author out of New York City. And he explains forgiveness like this. And I read, quote, when speaking of forgiveness, Jesus uses the image of debts to describe the nature of sins. When someone seriously wrongs you, there is this absolute unavoidable sense that the wrongdoing that the wrongdoer owes you. The wrong has incurred an obligation, a liability, a debt. Anyone who has been wrong feels a compulsion to make the other person pay down that debt. We do that by hurting them, yelling at them, making them feel bad in some way, or just waiting and watching and hoping that something bad happens to them. Only after we see them suffer in some commensurate way do we sense that the obligation has been paid 
and the sense of obligation is gone. This sense of debt, liability and obligation is impossible to escape. Anyone who denies it exists has simply not been wronged or sinned against in any serious way. He then goes on to say, what then is forgiveness? Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who harmed you. But it must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. This is, a, this is a, think about how monetary debt work. If a friend breaks my lamp and if the lamp costs $50 to replace, then the act of lamp breaking incurs a debt of $50. If I let him pay for and replace the lamp, I get my lamp back and he's out of $50. But if I forgive him for what he did, the debt does not somehow vanish into thin air. When I forgive him, I absorb the cost and payment for the lamp. Either I will pay the $50 to replace it or I will lose the lighting in that room. To forgive is to cancel a debt by paying it or observing it, absorbing it yourself. Someone always pays every debt, end quote. Now let's look at the king in our text. By forgiving the servant of the debt, he is taking the loss of the 10,000 talents upon himself. He knows that by relieving the servant of the debt, he won't get paid. What the king is doing is voluntarily choosing to suffer in the place of the servant. He's substituting himself in the place of the servant so that the servant can go free. The king is satisfying justice by taking on the debt himself. So true biblical forgiveness doesn't negate justice. It fulfills it. We know this is what Jesus did for us on the cross when he took our punishment and he, he paid the debt himself and satisfied justice so that we could receive grace and be free from eternal damnation. Jesus is never laid. Justice is never laid aside. It is always fulfilled. The price is always paid. So, brothers and sisters, this is this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. But in this good news, I do want to caution us in how we apply forgiveness. There are multiple levels where forgiveness and justice are applied. And we see that, that God has satisfied justice at the eternal level. Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sins and we are forgiven. That's one level where and we're about to see that forgiveness, that that forgiveness should lead us to forgive one another on a personal level of justice and forgiveness. But there is a level of justice that is not represented in our passage, but it is important for us to understand. And that is the role that God has appointed to governments to carry out justice here on earth. So we're told in Romans chapter 13 that government is a servant of God to bring wrath and to bear the sword against what is bad. So you have the eternal level, you have the government level and you have the personal level. All right. And so and because we know as Christians that we are to be a people of forgiveness, we sometimes have a tendency to move towards forgiveness and restoration when a Christian has committed a sin and expressed repentance. And we should. But there are times 
when a crime has been committed, when a child has been hurt, when a husband has abused his wife, that while they may be forgiven eternally, and even though we have forgiven them personally, justice through the sword of government still needs to be carried out. This era has led to many scandals in many churches because they ignored the earthly justice God has appointed to governments. So I don't want us to lose that in our application of forgiveness. So in this parable, Jesus is teaching us the heart of God and the great debt of sin we've been forgiven and how that forgiveness is to lead us to show the same love and forgiveness to those who have personally sinned against us. This is at the personal level. So now let's look at the final portion of our text. Look at verse 28. It reads, it says, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. When this master, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgive you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, so also my heavenly father will do the same to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Yeah. So here we have this servant. He was facing imprisonment and the selling of his entire family and everything he owned to pay a debt. But because of his plea for mercy, he was forgiven all of it. Every last drop. He, he, he wasn't given more time to come up with the money. He, he wasn't given a lower interest rate or some partial payment plan. He was forgiven it all. The debt was completely wiped out. And yet here he is as the one who is old and his heart is as hard as a rock. So one denarii was worth one day's wage. And so this other servant owed him a hundred days of wages, which is no small debt, but it's insignificant to the debt that he was just forgiven. But instead of showing grace, he grabs his servant and he says, give me what you owe. And his fellow servant pleads for the same mercy he just received. And he says, no. Brothers and sisters, the amount of self-righteousness and pride to believe we deserve justice more than the king himself is wickedness. This is why he calls him a wicked servant. Look at the difference in the heart of the king in verse 27 in the heart of the servant. Verse 20, he says, and out of pity for him or or out of compassion for him. The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. He had compassion for him. The king had compassion in his heart for his servant. Micah chapter seven, verses 18 to 22, tells us about the heart of the true king. And it reads, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity, 
and passing over transgressions for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God has compassion for us. He delights in steadfast love for us. The king was moved by the servant's plea for mercy, just as God is moved by ours. But look at the heart of the servant. There was no compassion for his fellow servant. And in verse 35, Jesus tells us that we must forgive from the heart. This is a heart issue. And God's grace, love and forgiveness should change our hearts. And as a result, change how we treat and interact with one another. The sign that the servant hadn't truly repented in his heart was how he failed to love his fellow servant. I pray that we are a people who are marked by love and forgiveness for one another. This is what we need to understand we are not greater than our Lord. If Jesus, the king and creator of all things, can humble himself and take the form of a servant and suffer and give himself up for us, how can we not do the same for one another? I do want to be sensitive, though. I do. And I'm glad Chad pointed this out earlier. Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness can be hard at times especially for people who have, who have experienced great trauma and great pain. And we need to be very loving and very caring as we minister to them. We also need to understand that forgiveness does not mean the removal of pain. On the cross, as Jesus was asking his father to forgive those who were murdering him, he felt every bit of pain yes. and anguish. Yes. So don't feel bad because you're hurting. That is normal. That's normal. But what we are called to do in those times is to focus on the cross of Jesus and not our pain. We are to look to Jesus and the great debt that we've been forgiven so we can forgive those who have sinned against us. Isn't that how Jesus told us to pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are to be a forgiving people because we have been forgiven. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in us. So are, are you holding back forgiveness from someone in your life today? Maybe a family member, a friend, a fellow Christian in the church. What about your spouse? My black brothers and sisters, are we holding back forgiveness from our white brothers and sisters because you feel there is some retribution or payment we deserve? If we are, if we are, know that God has commanded you to forgive in your heart and he has given you the spirit of God to point you to the cross to look to Jesus and repent. 
I'll close with this. If you are not a Christian and you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ for salvation, I implore you to do so because eternal justice will be satisfied either by Jesus in your place or by you serving out every last drop of your sentence and your payment, which means for all eternity. But if you are a Christian and you're here today, remember that you did not earn grace. It was freely given to you. So freely give it to others. Ephesians chapter four, verses 31 and 32 tells us. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and that you love us. You have compassion for us. We are just grateful that the love you have shown us, Father, and we pray that you would help us to show that love and forgiveness to those around us. Your word tells us that the fact that we love each other would be a witness to the world that you are who you say you are. So, Father, I pray for this church. I pray that the love that they have for one another would be evident in this community. That as they go out and as they spread your good news and your gospel, that the, the witness of their love and care for one another and their love and care for this community would be evident. We pray that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, and that many would come to know your name and glorify you by the work that is done here. Father, be with us. And it's your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good word, my brother. You took that far to stop it. Thank you, Brother Kevin, uh, for that wonderful word. And as you see why, God has connected him to us and us to him. And God is his great providence, bringing preachers in here so that we can be fed well. And so I said earlier, for those who were here, that um, part of what God laid on my heart is to bring some good brothers um, that uh, love the word of God that walks in the same vein of what it is that God has us on here in Fairfield. So you will be seeing um, my good friend from Alaska, Dr. Anthony. He's not a doctor, but I like to call him Dr. <laughs> Dr. Anthony Carter. And, um, he's a great preacher. Sandra, him and I had his wife over. And so I told him when we get the new building, he said, drive your shoes on. We're coming down I 20. <laughs> so vice versa. I'll be doing this church as well. So we're going to, and hopefully in, in, in the future, we'll be doing some conferences together and, and talking about some issues that God has really put on my heart and like-minded people. And I think in the next five to 10 years for us to bring our voice to play, what is God saying about some of these things that we see playing out in our culture? And I think Urban Hope is going to be in the heart of that. And so, and so you'll be in like Brother Kevin. I'm not standing out there by myself. So, <laughs> 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 <